available exclusively on the internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome to our continuing discussion here with John Smith, the Group Vice President of Global Product Planning for General Motors, and Larry Dominique, the Vice President for Product Planning for Nissan North America. Great to have you stick around for this internet version. Pleasure. Uh, John, let's start with uh, flex fuel vehicles. Are they selling? I mean, with gas where it is, are, are people pounding the doors and saying, give me an E85 vehicle? Uh, they're selling, and, and uh, sort of year by year, we have more applications that are E85 uh, compatible. I would say the demand for them is paced entirely by the availability of fuel. And, so in certain and, regions like Iowa and Colorado, it probably sells well? Uh, there, there are clearly some places where, where it's more readily available, but it's all relative. I mean, I think you can, the numbers of gas stations of, around the country for which, where you can today buy E85 is still appallingly low. There's a variety of reasons that I think people are working on to cause that to change. And I think maybe more importantly, to, to sort of get out of this hysteria associated with with E85 and, and the corn basis and all the argument as to whether or not it is or it isn't driving this pile of woe or that pile of woe. There's an awful lot of, of stuff going on, very importantly, in cellulosic uh, uh, ethanol, which is red, plentiful, readily available, and frankly, the production of, of cellulosic is, is one heck of a lot uh, less impactful to the environment than, right. than corn base. So, uh, to be honest, if you look around the world, you can look, you can look in places like Sweden, you can look in places like Brazil, there's no question that this has been one of the most profound levers to pull if you want to basically reduce petroleum consumption. We seem to be dragging our feet, frankly, in this country. We, not as a manufacturer, because mm -hmm. we keep equipping our vehicles uh, in an E85 compatible way, but we're really slow off in the market in this country. Didn't you guys at Nissan have a E85 uh, version of the Titan? Yeah, Titan and Armada are currently flexible fuel mm -hmm. uh, capable. We're going to be rolling out, as similar to what John said, yeah. more flexible fuel capable uh, vehicles. We, very much like GM, are, as a global manufacturer, we're producing vehicles for flexible fuel E100 in, in Brazil and some other countries. So the technology is certainly there. We can apply it. The ability to, to apply the flexible fuel technology can come down in cost if we can get some volumes up on some of these vehicles. Mm -hmm. So certainly there's opportunity. Do you see the public clamoring for vehicles like this, or is it still in its infancy? The, this fine line between oil dependency, you know, people th some people think of it as economic, others people think of it as country security, that kind of aspect. But certainly on an economic basis today, there's no economic equation to most consumers. Cost per mile driven is about the same, or in some cases more expensive with E85. So a lot of consumers are going to look at it from an economic equation and say, it doesn't tend for me. But if you're worried about oil dependency, reducing oil dependency, it's, it's a great alternative. I think right now, John, it's a matter of convenience. I mean. The car, is, the car is capable, and because, uh, it's almost going to become standard issue. I mean, in our case, I think we're going to ha have half of our production fleet in a few short years, each and every year, that it's E85 mm -hmm. compatible. Whether or not that actually drives a differential purchase decision, I mean, when you've got to drive 12, 15 miles to find the nearest E85 station, I don't think it enters in so much the shopping decision. Right. Uh, uh, if it was available at the corner, and people knew that it was available at the corner, do I think it would have a bigger impact on the purchase decision? Yes. Yeah. How about electric vehicles, Larry? I know Nissan seems to be very focused on that. You've got a very interesting program of taking an electric car to Israel, I believe it is. And uh, I think Carlos Ghosn, you know, the chairman of Nissan, has talked about pilot programs in cities like London, maybe even California. Fill us in. Right. What, what, what's your thinking Actually, on electrics? EV, um, we've made it, Mr. Gone has made it very clear as part of our what we're calling our GT 2012 next five-year midterm plan for sustainable growth that 
you know, zero emissions leadership is a, is a core part of our edict globally. And EV as a leader um, is one of our, our goals. Uh, we've already announced we're going to come out um, in a limited basis in 2010 with a fleet-based EV. 2012, we're going to offer it retail, mass market. Uh, we plan to bring more EVs following that vehicle. Um, it's been actually a very exciting program as we've been going around the country, not only the country, but the globe. Uh, we just signed, Renault Nissan together just signed a deal with the country of Portugal mm -hmm. last week. Um, the level of enthusiasm for EV, also in the last six months, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> has taken off um, exponentially. And, you know, some people, um, the changes to infrastructure and things, some people just want to get on the bandwagon. The reality is it's still a long road ahead of us on EV. But the important f part for us is with our joint venture with NEC, with the battery technology, the lithium-ion uh, cell-type technology, we're going to be able to have much better battery density over the next 10 years. And as technology goes from centralized motors to on-wheel technology, improvements in motor technology, uh, we think you can go from 100-mile range to 200, 250, 300-mile range. We think it'll broaden applications to like commercial. You know, so we, we, think, we think there's a tremendous opportunity in EV, and we as, as Nissan are going to put a lot of resource behind that globally. Is, is Nissan leapfrogging past hybrids then and just saying we're, we're not even going to do that? What's it's, the company's thinking on hybrids? The reality is today, um, if you look at the, just looking at the United States, EVs today might appeal to 15 or 20 percent of the, the, the driving population, people who are driving 30, 40 miles a day. Um, if people perceive they're driving a lot of miles, EV is not yet what they need. If you live very rurally, EV is not what you're going to need. If you live in an area where you're concerned about electrical infrastructure, it's not what you need. So we do believe it's, it's a technology that needs to be learned and expanded upon. Uh, the electric companies have been very accommodating in our discussions with them. Um, tremendous amount of evening potential for, for generation capacity. Daytime in LA is a different question, but at nighttime it's certainly available. So we certainly think that, that through this process of education, getting it out there in the marketplace, but so important to all of us is the EV has to be a real vehicle. Can't be a toy, can't be a glorified golf cart. It needs to be a vehicle that a person who owns a Versa today could say, you know, I can do everything with that EV that I could do with my Nissan Versa. And if you can get people to accept that level of, of normalcy in your vehicle, I think there's a lot of potential. And what's GM's view on pure electrics? And we'll get into the Volt in a minute because that's a little bit different. Well, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard for me to answer without having to talk through and about Volt because okay, Volt. Okay, well, then get, let's get into the Volt then. Because I mean, well, we're obviously in the production program uh, mm -hmm. phase for the Volt, and uh, for us, uh, and for a good slug of the population, you know, the 70, 75 percent of Americans, America daily, America's daily drivers who drive 40 miles or less, mm -hmm. the Volt is effectively an, elect an EV. It happens to have in the EFLEX architecture, an, an onboard, uh, uh, a small dedicated onboard engine to top off the battery should it ever, uh, should it ever get to a, uh, to a low state of charge, which by the way allows it to, to get range for people who happen to live in suburbia and maybe do 40, 50, 60 miles. Uh, but the point is, the EFLEX, for us, EFLEX, we're focused on Bolt. Uh, we've still got targeted a, a, a startup production here before the end of the 10 calendar year. It's a board approved program. We're excited about it. I think uh, lithium, there's been a breakthrough here in the last few years with lithium ion. And uh, I think we're all having success, probably measured in different ways in our respective development programs, but very promising. Uh, we have to say all of the developed milestones that we have set in front of us on the way to a start of sales, we're meeting all of them. Uh, and uh, I'll let Bob speak on behalf of the company for how enthused we are for the progress to date, but 
The end, the, uh, just to wrap up on Volt, and the reason I need to talk through it, the EFLEX architecture allows us uh, some interesting downstream possibilities of letting people perhaps select just what amount of battery-only range they would like to have and, and whether or not they even want an onboard generator. So it gives us, I think, I hate to come back to regulatory schemes, but there are some regulatory schemes out there which are zero emissions vehicle. And the Volt becomes for us a, you know, one option, uh, mm -hmm. frankly, to get... Uh, in to, other to words, you pull that little engine out and put Good. another battery pack in its Good. place. But I don't want to leave off the table, uh, you know, the, the also the other form of electric vehicle that uh, that we've been working on and working on intensively for some time, and that's fuel cells, mm -hmm. which is kind of electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Instead of an onboard gasoline-powered engine, you basically have a hydrogen-powered fuel cell, which is accomplishing the same end. So I think we're all we're all attempting to cover quite a few bets in the green space, and I would just wrap up with a, with the answer with my answer to your question to Larry. I, I don't think that there is can be a, a, a single green solution that works for everybody. You know, what a vocational full-size pickup guy needs, personally, we think if he wants to be green and still do his job, he's probably either, he's probably gonna be in a, he might be in a diesel, depending on how much all of that costs, but he's certainly gonna be using perhaps our two or four mode transmission to get an extra 25, 30, 30% fuel economy. If you're in, if you're a station car guy in Connecticut, you can probably do wonders with a Volt and never put a drop of gasoline in the car. And if you're somewhere in between, chances are you're gonna be looking at, at uh, hybrids technology-wise, similar to say uh, Toyota Hybrid Synergy Drive or our forthcoming Bass Plus operations. There's not a single green solution that's gonna work for everybody, and that's why we and others, I think, are covering as many different bets as we are. T. Boone Pickens, as you guys know, recently came out and said, let's make electricity out of wind and not make it out of uh, natural gas, and then let's put that natural gas in cars. L Larry, do you see any viability in that kind of approach? Well, certainly the issue about clean energy is becoming more and more important to a lot of people um, as an alternative, um, at historically a very expensive alternative. As we move forward, maybe less expensive alternative. But certainly, you know, we're seeing a larger percentage of Americans desiring less oil dependency and the desire to keep environment clean at the same time. So as some of the things we're doing, for example, on our electric vehicle program is we're actually talking to, to different clean energy companies and considering or discussing, could we have some partnerships where if you buy an, a Nissan EV, you're actually, the way you're getting your energy is actually from a clean source. So we certainly think there's opportunity to expand clean energy. Uh, but again, it, it comes down to this, this ability to do an infrastructure, this ability to invest, and uh, uh, as John had pointed out on the uh, range of green alternatives, uh, it fits in there somewhere. But is it a mass percentage? I don't think it's a big change. Yeah. General Motors used to sell natural gas-powered vehicles. Still do. You do? Oh, yeah, sure. We, we do. Uh, we still engineer and sell uh, natural gas vehicles, and they... Uh, they are favored in some parts of the world, and we do this in Europe, we do it in Asia Pacific. Oh, okay, but you don't do it in the U.S. No, market, do you? Uh, you no, used to it in the no, U.S. I, market. I, I, give, I would give uh, Mr. Pickens, I think, uh, kudos for at least being someone who's out there with an idea around a national a energy plan. policy. A plan, yeah, wow, what a concept. Uh, we, know how to do, we, we all know how to do natural gas vehicles. I, uh, whether, they can, whether they can or should be in large quantities, perhaps it's based by infrastructure, because, I mean, it's... Again, I'd say most people who buy a vehicle are looking just how convenient is it going to be to own and operate. Where can I get the natural gas refilled versus gasoline versus diesel? So, I mean, that may be a bit of a pacing item. Uh, I'll come back to what I said earlier. I mean, if I had to use a different 
form of energy to power most of the vehicles over the next five to ten years you know, uh, until lithium-ion becomes goes way down the learning curve or hydrogen-powered fuel cells go way down the learning curve. You know, the biggest, most productive lever we can pull in terms of a national energy plan in the transportation sector is get behind cellulosic ethanol. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's basically cutting by six-sevenths you know, the amount of petroleum product that is used in everything carrying a gas tank. And, and it's just a matter of, 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 of national will, I think, related to distribution uh, uh, availability, uh, putting, you know, putting some seed capital out there for people in the private sector to take risk, you know, to investigate different cellulosic processes. But there is no more productive lever around a national energy policy uh, and petroleum in independence other than ethanol. Is Nissan as bullish on ethanol as General Motors obviously is? Probably not as bullish, um, but again, to what John had talked about from a, from a policy standpoint, infrastructure changes. Um, how do you take a percentage of your GDP and decide where you're going to invest? Is it electrical infrastructure? Is it in natural gas? Is it in fuel cell for hydrogen? It's very splintered today, and there is no consensus as to which direction that right. policy should go in. So until there is a direction, I think it's we're all kind of hedging our bets and going in multiple directions. Are, are you guys as eagerly following this algae for fuel development as I am? Uh, is that anything that you've looked at uh, or followed? I, I would say we're uh, somebody. Some, somebody in our company is eagerly following that. <laughs> okay. You know, yes. it, it's, it's interesting. One of the, one of my planners this week sent me a picture from the movie um, Back in the Future. When he came back from the future, he had the Mr. Fusion yeah, machine, right. yeah. and somebody said, we can only hope. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's great. Well, this is a great place to, to wrap it up. But John Smith, Larry Dominique, thanks so much for coming in and talking all about the, the product planning. Boy, I don't, I don't pity you. I pity you guys. I don't envy you guys at all with all.